Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father God, we thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to share and learn, Father, what you have prepared for us, what you have written in your word. We ask you that you give us the courage and the boldness, Father God, to truly go forward as you have commanded us and, and share the word uh, with many, many people that are out there that are lost. They may or may not be looking, Father God, but we know because we have the answer. We know their end. We know what the devil has prepared for them, Father God, nothing less than destruction and death and the hellfire, Father God, but you've given us such a beautiful answer. And we ask you that you just give us the courage and the boldness, Father God, to be able to share that with the world. And this morning as we go through your word, we ask that you speak to us, that every heart here this morning be good soil so that that word could fall on that good soil and give fruit, Father God, one day. And we just pray that your spirit take over this morning, that uh, I not be the one speaking, but that your spirit speak through me and that you would just touch the lives, Father God, with your word, with your power. And we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, very importantly, to set the stage of what we're talking about here, we're talking about a God that has a deep, deep, deep desire to reach man. A deep, deep, deep desire that not one man be lost. Nobody. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. Not only in the United States of America, but in the Middle East, in Asia, in, in, in Europe, God does not want one, one person to be lost. So Danny, Danny they, they just came back from Italy. They were over there. And while they were over there, they didn't say, well, let's put the gospel in our pocket because we're not in the United States. We're not in our church. No, on the contrary, they met and they encountered lives over there that also are in need of the gospel. So the gospel is for everybody all over the world. And we can't be stingy because God is not stingy. God did not make this just for us. God made this for everybody. And we know this because we see Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. After 400 years of silence between the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, and Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, we see Jesus' first public, big uh, uh, preaching. He says, you know, uh, I bring... A, a, I don't, he specifically says, I do not come to abolish the law, but I come to fulfill it. So he's going to bring a, what I like to call like a new contract, right? We know it better as the New Testament because it was an Old Testament. Now this is a New Testament. And Jesus was bringing forth this new contract, this new agreement between God and man. And Jesus begins in Matthew 5, and he's, in Matthew 5 verse 3. We could put it up there. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you could understand for a second, these 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, the Israel, Jerusalem, was conquered by different nations, by the Greeks and then by the Romans. When Jesus came in, the Romans were in control. And the Romans knew that the Jewish people were an important people. So they began to put important Jewish people in political positions. And then we had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all these politically uh, connected Jewish people that were really oppressing you know the Jewish people and the people of that time and so there was no recourse there was no remedy but now Jesus come on the summer of the mount and he brings this beautiful powerful message in that context he says you guys have been despised pushed aside oppressed but now I tell you blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven verse 4 he said blessed are those who mourn because now they will be comforted and then verse 5, he says, blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. So God, what Jesus is doing, Jesus is turning things upside down. He says, you see those leaders, you see those people that have been oppressing you? Yeah, they've had it good for a while, but now there's a new sheriff in town. There is a new contract. There is a new covenant. And I'm telling you, I'm turning this thing upside down. Now you are the ones that are going to inherit the earth. And so you could imagine the reception that Jesus had. Figure that. The, the Bible says that there were thousands of people that were following the crowd. They wanted to hear this message. It was so refreshing. Such a beautiful thing at the time. And so he was giving them uh, the honey of the message. He was kind of bringing them in and giving them the honey of the message. The fact that they were now going to be the ones that God was going to look out for. Also in verses 21 and 22, we see that Jesus uses the words, You have heard it that it was said of old, you shall not murder. But now, in verse 22, I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. So you can see it's a new, improved version of the law. It's a new message. It's a new testament that Jesus is bringing because God's heart is to reach the people for the kingdom of God. And that's why he sent Jesus. And so uh, as he's saying this, um, he, 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 you know, he brought him in with the honey and now he's telling them, but this is not going to be easy because we're upping the ante. It's going to cost you. It's not going to be free. And so we see as Jesus walked, the crowd started getting smaller and smaller and smaller, right? And so at the end, we know that there were only 12 that were very close to him and that actually uh, continued to pursue him. But notwithstanding, we see that this is God's new deal or covenant with man. This is a New Testament. And this is actually the backdrop against which we really are able to appreciate God's purpose for man and humanity. So it was not a man that concocted this. It was God that came up with this. It was not man that said, hey, let's start a new religion. Let's do this, that, and the other. No, it was God that sent his only son so that man would be redeemed. And so um, evangelism, like I said, is basically telling others about Jesus, about this great salvation. And uh, you guys know the powerful preacher, uh, C.H. Spurgeon. He said, basically, and I love this because it'll hit home. He says, evangelism is basically one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. You know, because we know that hunger is a natural need for man. And so salvation is a natural need for man. Man needs to fill that void with God. So it's basically saying, I found where the good stuff is. Let me tell you where it's at. You know, that's basically what it is. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. So before we begin, let's review real quickly five different principles or points uh, when we talk about evangelism that you need to keep in mind as you share your testimony. Number one and the most important one, which is I've already alluded to, it says, God loves man dearly and God desires that all men be saved. All men. Now you look at the neighbor that's sitting next to you and you look at him, you say, man, thank God someone one day told you about Jesus because I like you. You're a nice guy. You're here today, you know. And so imagine how many more people are out there that should be sitting in that chair right next to you. They don't know God. They don't know God. But it is God's heart that they know him. It is God's heart that they be saved and they not perish. And everybody knows the, the famous verse, John 3.16. How many know John 3.16? Raise your hands. Yes. This is evangelism 101. Everybody should know this verse. You see it in the NFL on the end zones. People hold up a sign that says John 3.16. Uh, in golf games, in the Masters, right now in the World Championship, you see people hold up signs, John 3.16. This is a message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whether they're here in Miami, 
or they're in Vermont, or they're in the Middle East, in Iran or Iraq, or they're in Cuba. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So it is God's heart, people. And listen, I know Christians get a bad rap. Jesus gets a bad rap, whatever. Uh, but the fact is that it is God's heart, unlike any other religion, unlike, unlike any other teaching, it is God's heart that every single person be included in this message. And if you go to verse 17, <clears throat> it says, it says that God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Verse 18, and it says because, verse 18, he who believes in him will not be condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So this takes us to point number two when it comes to evangelism. Jesus, he is the only way. There is no other way by which man can be saved except through Jesus. That is, period. There's no explanation. There's no rationalization. There's no watering down the gospel. Jesus is the only solution or antidote to sin. In Acts 4.12, we see that they say, very specifically, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given to men, Acts 4.12, whereby man must be saved. No other name. And in Acts, those were hot times. There was a lot of persecution. They could have watered down the message. They could say, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I mean, if you did it that way, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, if you have the, the little statue in your house and, you know, you put uh, bread and whatever for you, you're good. Don't worry about it. Like, I guess, like, you know, no, they didn't water down the message. They very specifically said there is no other name. There's no one under heaven, no other name by which man can be saved. Only the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So although God does, God does want to reach every single person, every single man on FIU campus, at your work, in La Carreta, in, in the train, in the bus, God wants to reach every single person. They can't get there by any other way except through Jesus Christ. So that becomes the essence of the message. We cannot water it down. We cannot explain it out. There's no other option but Jesus Christ. In fact, I love uh, uh, La Virgen Maria, the Virgin Mary, Jesus' mom. She wrote a song and she said, my Savior, my Lord, Jesus Christ. So even Mary needed a Savior. And she was, as the Bible describes, an honorable woman, a good woman. God used her because she was a good young lady, whatever. And we've exalted her through the roof now, you know, like whatever. But even she needed a Savior, and her Savior was Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, point number three, when it comes to evangelism, is that we can experience God's love and plan for our lives today. It doesn't have to wait. It's not something that you're going to get when you die and then you go to heaven. No, today as of today, by incorporating Jesus into our lives, by bringing the gospel message to our homes, we can begin to live out that beautiful life that God promises us. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, In case you didn't know, the thief cometh, but to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10, 10. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have life more abundantly. You're not just getting by. You're just not skimming the water. You're not just staying afloat and then go back into the hustle and bustle. No, he says that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. 
I love when Peter's walking on the waters. That's a great description of the life that Christians live. We're above the fray. God is keeping us above the water. We do not sink under, okay? So that's the abundant life that Jesus is promising to us today. So in our evangelism message, our testimony, we have to tell people this is something you can experience today. Don't put it off for tomorrow or another week or another month. And don't think that if you're on your deathbed and you repent, you're going to go to heaven. Yes, but look at all you missed out, this wonderful life that you could have enjoyed while you were here on earth that you missed out. Number four, this is probably um, very important. You know, uh, Matthew 28 verse 18 through 20. We have to tell them. Nobody else is going to tell them. We have to tell them. We have to bring the message to the people. God is not in, the, in, in these times, God is not in the mood of sending down angels and spirits and this kind of stuff to tell people. God wants to use you. He wants to use your lips. He wants to use your hands. He wants to use your compassion, your love, your life to reach out and touch others. In fact, Matthew 28, 18, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He is the new sheriff in town. And then what does he do? Verse 19, he says, now you go there. For to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am always with you, even unto the end of the age. So it is a commandment that Jesus hands off to us that we should go through the world and tell people. They're not going to find out unless we tell them. And again, everybody here has different personalities. I don't mind if you're on a street corner screaming with signs. I don't mind if you go to the people in line of the carreta and you say, hey, listen, Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. I don't mind if you go to play golf with a colleague and as you're playing golf, you say, hey, listen, you know, I've been wanting to tell you for a long time. You know, I've been a Christian. This is what happened. You give me your testimony. Or I don't mind either if you're on an airplane ride to our ride somewhere, like the pastor always says, and the person next to you able to share the gospel message. It could come in many different forms, but it's up to you. We have to tell them. Romans 10 Verses 13 through 15, it says, God is making a, 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 a statement here through these verses. And in verse 13, it says, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever, this whoever I want to highlight because it's for everybody. And then verse 14 says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How are people going to know? How are people going to believe unless we tell them, unless we take the message, unless we share our testimony with them, unless we tell them what God did for them, this beautiful good news message that Jesus sent his son so that we don't have to continue to live in the desperation that we live. Verse 15. And who, verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Now look at your feet, everybody. Look at your feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. God gave you feet and legs so you could walk, so you could get to places, so you could experience life, and all that's fine and dandy. But also God gave you feet so you can go and tell people about the gospel. That's what it says here in this verse. So it's, it is up to us. Now point number five. This is a part that has always been hard for me. Nobody likes to get rejected. Nobody likes to be sent away. Nobody likes to feel like you didn't do a good sales job. I'm not buying what you're selling, buddy. 
go away, go knock on another door. I'm not interested in what you have. Or how many have heard this? That's good for you, but I don't need that. I heard that just yesterday. Someone told me, I believe in God, but I don't have to go to church. I believe in God, but, I believe in God, but, you know, I've heard that before. And you feel, in a way, kind of like, ah, I could have done a better job. If I would have just said more of this or more of that, if I would have expounded, if I would have whatever. Let me tell you, that's not it. What is it is they're just not ready. So point five is not everybody is good ground. Not everybody is ready. That soil is still not ready. And Jesus gave us the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, verses 18 through 23. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. So now, in this part, Jesus is explaining the parable that he said earlier in the chapter. So I, I got straight to the explanation because it was sufficient for us to understand this principle. It's a very important principle. Verse 19. When anyone hears a word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches it away. That seed that was sown, the wicked one comes and snatches it away. This is the one who received the seed that fell by the wayside. Okay, so that's one example of a response that you may get when you share the word of God. Verse 20, but he who received the seed on stony places, the seed was thrown in a stony area. This is he who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with joy. You get a good response. Verse 21. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For the tribulation or the persecution arises, and because of the word, he, he immediately stumbles. So this is the one that was thrown in the stony area. And, and when the sun came out, it withered and dried because it, it didn't have any roots. Verse 22. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world chokes it out. The riches chokes it out. The passions, the material things chokes it out. And he becomes unfruitful. He's not able to grow and flourish. Verse 23. But he, this is the one that we want. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. Who indeed bears fruit and produces some to a hundredfold, sixty, and, and some thirty. So the greatest evangelist that I ever knew in this lifetime was Billy Graham. Now, Billy Graham was able to give a very simple, succinct message, a very efficient message, and a very large crusades. He was a man of a lot of understanding, a lot of knowledge, but he never strayed away from the simple message of salvation. And, and thousands, tens of thousands of people got saved because of his message. And Billy Graham was just a pretty ordinary guy, just like you and I, but he just took the command of Christ in Matthew 28 seriously, and he went out and he, 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 he wanted to do this uh, his whole life um, but he he said a story just to illustrate what kind of a man he was he was an ordinary man he says a story that he was in a small town in South Carolina in a crusade and uh, back then they didn't have text messaging they didn't have emails they didn't have anything like that so he needed to get in contact with somebody so he needed to mail a letter so he had to write his letter put a stamp on it roll old school and get in his car and go find the post office well he's in a town he wasn't familiar with so he's driving around, and he sees a young man standing by the road, a child. And he says, young man, where's the post office here? And the young man kind of gives him directions, go this way, go that way, go the other way. And he told him how to get to the post office. And, and Billy Graham said, thank you very much. Listen, pass by the crusade tonight so you could hear me tell other people how to get to heaven. And the young man goes, no, I, I won't be there. And Billy Graham was kind of beside himself. He, and the young man says, well, you don't even know how to get to the post office. Huh? 
How are you going to tell me how to get to heaven, you know? And so this is a true story. This really happened to him. But it's a good message joke also. Notwithstanding, you know, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to even be knowledgeable. You don't have to be very uh, articulate to be able to share the gospel. You just have to do it and do it the way that God puts in your heart using our testimony. So briefly before we finish here, my target is 10, 15, yeah, 10, 15. Um, before we finish, let me go quickly and take you guys over to Acts chapter 26. Let's go to Acts chapter 26. Here we see one of the greatest evangelists in the New Testament standing before the king, King Agrippa. And uh, he gets an opportunity to open his mouth before a king and a great audience. He's given this opportunity, even though he's in chains, he's in shackles because he's been arrested, he's been taken as a prisoner. But um, this is a good model that we could take with us on how to share our testimony in an evangelistic way. Paul shows us here. And if you go home and you do read through chapter 26, it's going to do you a lot of good as the Spirit of God teaches you how to uh, align your own testimony around this. This, Paul shows us how to share your message, your testimony, very briefly talking about how your life was before Christ, how you, how you got to know Christ, and how your life is after Christ. So those are the three basic areas of your testimony that you should uh, be able to present in a very efficient and quick way. And in, in interwoven into uh, your, your testimony or this message, uh, we put scriptures that uh, reach out and that the words for this person to receive so that they could receive the gospel message. And so here in verse 1, we see that Paul is standing before the king Agrippa. And uh, the king Agrippa says, you are permitted to speak for yourself. And so Paul starts out with, uh, Paul like, I know he's licking his lips. He's like, oh man. What an opportunity. What a great, you know, there's a royal audience. There's people sitting there. The king's sitting there. And Paul, he wants to reach his king for the gospel. And so Paul starts out by saying in verse 2, I think myself happy. You know, he's in shackles before the king. But he's like, this doesn't faze me. God is good. I'm a happy guy. If you're going to testify, if you're going to evangelize, be happy. Don't be bitter. Don't be angry. Don't be like, oh, I got to testify. You know, I, you know, Jesus loves you. You know, I mean, don't be an angry person. Have a mood, have an attitude that is contagious, that people say, man, what does this person have? I want what they have. I'm desiring to live that kind of life because this guy looks like a happy guy. So Paul says, it's funny, he says, he says, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself before you concerning all these things. And then he starts in verse 3, and he kind of says something nice to the king and kind of give him respect, give him honor where he sits. He says, especially because king... You're an expert, you know. You're kind of like a sharp guy. You understand these things. You understand the customs and all the questions of the Jews. And so, bear with me here for a second. Listen to me patiently. And so the king now like sits up in his church. Yeah, I'm a smart guy. Yeah, he knows. He knows I'm an expert, whatever. So we're not to speak down to people. We're not to tell people like, you know, I'm better than you are. You're less than I am. You know, we're not to speak down to people and be condescending. We're to lift people up and be encouraging and be loving and caring and say, look, you're a great guy, man, but look what I have. I got something that's out of this world. In fact, I didn't even know about this until somebody told me. Let me tell you. And so it's important as you share your testimony not to be condescending. Don't be a... Uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't want to be judged. Well, sometimes Christians come across like self-righteous, like we know more, we're better, whatever. We do have the answer, absolutely. We do have the answer, and we have the full counsel of God right here, you know. But as we're sharing our testimony in the gospel, we don't need to come across as uh, arrogant people. And so in verse 4, he starts out, this was my life, King, before Christ. This is how things were. 
you know and and everybody's different before Christ we're all the same in that we're lost but we're all different for example I never in my life did any kind of drug I grew up I gotta say very early on when I was 14 so my testimony wasn't one of fire and brimstone and depression and sex and drugs and rock and roll I wasn't that kind of person that wasn't my life and it took me a while to be able to say but that's a good testimony because, you know, I was clean. I was pure. I could have hung the hat of self-righteousness. I'm a nice guy. I'm a good guy. But I didn't. I threw that hat down and I threw myself at the feet of Jesus because I needed Jesus just as much as anybody. There are people that are firing brimstone and sex, drugs, and rock and roll, whatever. That's a great testimony. God could use that very powerfully. Don't want to be the clean guy, the goody-goody guy. And the goody-goody guy don't want to be the sex, drugs, and rock and roll guy. Be who you are. That does come across. When you're sharing your testimony, sincerity and being genuine, that comes across. You can't be uh, uh, double uh, doubting yourself and not believing the work that God did in your life and wishing you were somebody else as you share the gospel. So Paul says very clearly, he says, look, I was in verse 5. I was in the religion, man. I was like one of the tight guys within the religion. I was a Pharisee. You know, I was in with the good guys. I was a clean guy since I was young. And then verses 5 through 11 he begins to say how he lost his wheels. I began to judge the people, God. I began to persecute. I began to kill. I was voting against these people so that they'd be in prison and killed. Paul just goes on and says, look, man, this is how I lost my wheels. I thought I had it all together, but I really messed up. And I was down, down, down. I wasn't feeling good about myself. Life wasn't good. I couldn't sleep at night. I was tormented because of things I was doing. People were attacking me. I felt out of favor with God. I felt lost. There was a hole in my life that was empty. He goes on to say in those verses. And then he obviously, if you read through that, when you go home, he didn't share every single little detail about his life. But interestingly, what Paul did is he tailored his message, his testimony, around something that he could relate with uh, his audience. He talked about things that they could say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Kind of that sounds like me. Like they could put themselves in his shoes and relate to that. So he shared very specific things about his testimony that the people, his target audience could relate to. And he definitely highlighted different beliefs and ideas and customs that they had in common. He was able to do this very effectively. And then in verse 12, Paul begins to recount his conversion. Now this is the part that I love. Uh, Paul says, he describes as he goes on his journey to Damascus, the light came down from heaven. And in verse 15 Paul quickly introduces Jesus and then he said who are you Lord and he said I am Jesus so Agrippa said ah this Jesus guy I've heard about I've heard about Jesus Paul introduces him into his testimony in a very smooth way because Paul knows that Jesus is the only way so he wants to put him in there in his testimony as this is a central figure of my new life his name is Jesus Christ and now there's a, a, a mood and atmosphere to water down who Jesus is. Call him dude, my friend, my buddy, my whatever, and kind of I'm buddy-buddy with Jesus. But we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the sovereign God that came down to save man. And we cannot water this down. There's no other way. So if people leave from our side thinking there's other options, there's other opportunities, if I'm a good person, if I just go to church, if I worship the Virgin, if I worship San Lazaro, if I blah, 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 I'll be a good person and I'll make it. If they leave your side thinking that, your message wasn't clear enough. It needs to be clear that Jesus is the only way to achieve uh, salvation through and get to God. And so in, in those verses, um, Paul, uh, he introduces 
uh, Agrippa very quickly to the message of salvation through his own testimony, through how he met Christ. And then uh, in verse 19, Paul starts to talk about his life uh, uh, since Christ. So how he met before Christ, how he met Christ, and now his life since Christ. What has happened since Christ. And very quickly he begins to uh, uh, highlight these points of uh, aspects of obedience, telling others, trusting God, you know, uh, needing Christ for salvation, Christ as a central figure for salvation. So he interweaves that into his testimony as he's saying his own testimony. He is very cognizant of that. He's doing that on purpose. He's not doing it by accident. He's not all into himself. He's not into all his little short anecdotes about life. And Paul had an incredible life. But he's very specifically trying to reach his people for Christ. So he knows it's important to interweave Christ and scripture and the gospel into his testimony message. And so it's very efficient. It's very succinct. But it's to the point and it gives a message. And he, uh, he begins in verse 19 to say, look, Agrippa, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision that God gave me. And uh, in verse 20, he says, but I declared to Damascus and Jerusalem throughout Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn from God and do good works. And so is he, he, he says, I told them this, but at the same time, that's what he's telling him, right? So it's a very non-confrontational way without making somebody defensive to tell them you need to repent. You need to receive Christ and start doing good works. But I told them. So he's speaking to the king in a very non-confrontational way. It's very, very good of Paul doing that because the king was able to receive. And then verse 22 is, Therefore, having obtained the help from God, I am now able to go and witness to the small and to the great and to share all these things that the prophets and Moses taught us. These things that Moses said were going to happen. Verse 23, that the Christ, he introduces Christ again, that the Christ would suffer and that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And so you can see how Paul introduces a salvation message right there in his testimony. And now there was a situation where somebody confronted Paul in verse 24. Festus says in a loud voice, Paul, are you beside yourself? Too much studying has made you crazy. You're a nut. The guy doesn't confront what Paul is saying. He confronts, he attacks his person. You're a nut. You're crazy. Well, you're making these things up. And Paul very calmly in verse 25 says, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. But speak words of truth and reason. Bring me the facts. Tell me what you know. You want to talk about this? Let's talk about this. But Paul doesn't get into it with him. He turns immediately to, in verse 26 to the king and says, For the king before whom I also speak freely, he knows these things. And I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention because he's a smart guy. Since this thing was not done in a corner, everybody is aware of these things. And so clearly in the face of a challenge, he remains calm. He remains respectful. And he gets back to what he's there to do, to reach the king for Christ. So he transitions in a very non-offensive way. In verse 27, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe? So here comes a moment of decision. So we have to give people an opportunity to respond. You can't just give your testimony and walk away. We have to allow them the opportunity to respond. And in your mind, you may be saying, they're not getting any of this. They're like out there. But in their mind, they may be, their heart may be racing fast. They may be challenged. But you don't see that in the outside. So stop and give them a chance. Do you believe? Do you want this? Is this something that you're interested in? And then be quiet. 
and give them a chance to respond. This is so important. Billy Graham did this so effectively in his crusades. He always gave people a chance to respond. In fact, that opportunity to respond to him sometimes was more important than any other part of the message. He wanted to give. Sometimes people come up to you, talk to you, already wanting to respond. You just don't know it. So you talk and talk and talk and talk, get all into your life, into your message, whatever, whatever, and you're blowing the opportunity. So you want to give people a chance to respond. You want to give them the opportunity. So Paul challenges him. And he kind of corners him into making a decision. And he offers these absolute, non-equivocal, there's no gray area here, truths. So that the king is confronted with these absolute truths and has to choose a side. Are you with me or are you against me? Is it an up vote or is it a down vote? This is very clear. And this is why our message has to be so clear and not watered down. Because if you water it down, people could kind of walk away saying, hey, life is good. You know, I thought I was worse, but life isn't too bad. And so you have to give them an opportunity to make a decision, but you have to put them in that area like Paul did by making these absolute non-watered-down true statements and allow people the opportunity to accept or reject. And in verse 28, as Paul suspected, he designed the whole thing. King Agrippa says, you know what? You almost convinced me. You had me there for a second. Man, I almost jumped in. You know, so even Kenny Agrippa, you can see his response is a decisional response. I could have, I would have, I should have. And so Paul's fine because not everybody's good ground. But you know what? Paul left tremendous seed in that man's life. That was an avocado seed that Paul dumped in there. The guy was moved. You know, he was shaken by Paul's testimony. And it was very quick, very efficient, very succinct. Look, this doesn't have to take half an hour an hour, you could do that in three minutes, you could do it in five minutes, you could do it in 10 minutes, but you have to be deliberate about it. It's something that you have to sit down and really weigh the importance of this gospel message that we have and the desire of God to reach people and say, okay, God, I hear you. I'm willing to be part of that. I want to be part of that. Teach me, help me, show me, and actually sit down, get a paper and a pen, and put it on paper. Get, you know, practice your testimony. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you guidance. You know, write it out and, and, and include, you know, you know some scriptures, John three sixteen. you can start with that. You know some scriptures you can begin to plug in there in your testimony. So as you say and you share your life and your testimony, you could also share scripture. You pray over it, you edit it, you practice it. Some, you could come up to Pastor Mediero, you could come up to me, Palma, you could come up to anybody, you could go to your dog, you know, to practice. I mean, you know, you could go to anybody and practice, you know, your testimony. It's a tool. It's a weapon. It's a powerful weapon to change lives, to change families, to change the world. And this year is a year of testimony. And we don't want anybody to be left out. And it doesn't matter your personality or your style. We want everybody to participate and be able to win souls for Christ. There's nothing more, uh, uh, there's no greater privilege or honor than to win somebody for Christ. And one day you'll be sitting here, somebody will stand up and grab the mic. I mean, you guys, I know that, I know this kind of tickles you a little bit. When somebody says, no, when I got here, you know, but thanks to, you know, uh, Kike and Lourdes, you know, who invited me, you know, and Kike and Lourdes are sitting back, they're like, yeah, we did it. And everybody else is like, oh, you know, where's the soul that I brought? Where's the person that I invited? You know, where's the person grabbed the mic and said, you know, if it wasn't for Fulanito, like, you know, I wouldn't be here today. You know, it's a great honor and privilege. That thing that you feel is, is an honor and privilege to be able to put your hand on the plow and reach people for Christ. You guys remember when Christ was standing looking at the crowds 
And, and the Bible says that tears came to his eyes. And, and he says, look, look at all these people. All these people out there, and they need the gospel, but there's nobody to take it to them. The workers are few. The churches are full, but there's nobody to take the gospel to the people out there. So we need to take it upon ourselves, whether you're young or you're old, whether you're passive or aggressive personality, whether you're uh, uh, articulate or not articulate, you know, you need to hunker down, pray to God, ask him that you will be able to be part of fulfilling his command of reaching the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the musicians to come up. Are the musicians still here? They're in the back practicing. Oh, they're here. Hallelujah. God is a good God, and God desires that all men be saved and that no one perish, and he wants to use you. He wants to use you. I love when I hear about children sharing the gospel. I love to hear about when las ancianitas share the gospel and people come to Christ. I love to hear when Oscar shares the gospel. It's very dramatic, very confrontational. I love to hear when Richard Lopez shares the gospel. I mean, Richard Lopez are preached to the rocks, you know, in English. He can't even speak English, you know. Like, I mean, that's very powerful. So, no, I mean, we, we just need to pray. We need to take it to heart and be proactive, you know, and, and do something about it. Don't be a passive uh, passenger in this journey. But be proactive. Ask God to speak to you. Ask God to teach you that you can use your testimony in a powerful way. Everybody's testimony in here is powerful uh, because Christ is right in the center of it. That's what makes it powerful. So we need to go out there and tell the world about Christ. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and let's close out in prayer. And I want to thank you guys for coming here this morning. And I'm going to say this message two more times. So you want to stick around and take some more notes. It's probably going to get better and better. You're welcome to do that. Father God, we thank you, Lord. And I just bless your name, Lord, because you're a good God. We, we praise you because you've included us in your plan for salvation. You've included us as part of that army that's going to go out and tell the world about this wonderful plan of salvation that you have prepared for all mankind, that none would be lost, that none would perish, God. It is not your will that anybody burn in the hellfire, Father God, that anybody live in this world condemned and judged. It is your plan that every single man experience your love and your salvation, that they live under the umbrella of your grace and of your mercy. And we pray that for every family here this morning, Father God, and we pray that this week coming forward, Lord, that you just give every person here this morning the opportunity to open their mouth and share their testimony, to share the gospel, to evangelize and be part of that great army that you so earnestly desired when you looked upon the lost crowds and you prayed. The workers are few. But Lord, here we have some faithful workers, Father God, that are ready and willing to reach out and to uh, uh, change the world as you have intended us to, Father God. We pray that you give us understanding, you give us mercy. It's not about us. We are not the central figure, but we use our testimony as a powerful tool, tool with you as a central figure to reach lives, Father God. We pray that you give us grace, you give us wisdom this week, Lord. Be with us this week, Father God, in all things that we do. Be with the pastors of Vermont. Bring them home safely, Father God. Be with Joaquin as he preaches this morning, Father God. Give him an anointing, Father God, that he will be able to reach many for you, for your kingdom, Father God. We thank you. We praise your name. In your name we pray.